This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing, whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status. Our aim is to help you break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Uh, welcome to this bonus episode of Equity Mates, we should say. Uh, we did a live show recently. Yes. Uh, and we loved it so much that we made it a podcast. We did make it a podcast. Uh, we did a show called All Access. It was a live show created in partnership with Stake, the place to trade US stocks with zero dollar brokerage. We had an awesome time. It was all about the alcohol industry, uh, alcohol and beverages. We had an amazing panel um, and Stake really helped us to put it on. So this is the first of two uh, episodes that are dropping in the feed today. We did two panel discussions. The first with three CEOs from the alcohol and beverages industry. And then the second with two expert investors to talk about investing in the industry. So on this one, you'll hear the three CEOs talking about trends, what to watch, um, how they think about the industry, a lot of good information for investors. Um, And look, we really do want to thank Stake for helping us put it together. We're big fans of Stake. We've used Stake for years and it it puts Wall Street at your fingertips. Gone are the days that you have to, uh, you know, fill out heaps of paperwork or, you know, call a broker to invest in the US. You can now do it just as easy as you can invest in Australia. You set up a brokerage account in minutes, make trades in seconds and all with $0 brokerage, which we love because we hate fees. Love to see it. You can sign up to stake using our promo code EquityMates. And if you fund your account within 24 hours, you will get a free stock in either Nike, Dropbox or GoPro. So not bad to kick off your investing journey over in the States. But um, thanks to Stake, without further ado, here is the first half of our live show, All Access. Welcome to a live episode of Equity Mates. Uh, For those that have just joined us, Equity Mates is uh, about following our journey of investing. Whether you are an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to break down the investing barriers from beginning to dividend, which we're super pumped about. My name is Bryce, uh, if you haven't come across Equity Mates before. And as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm good, Bryce. Very excited for this live event. Yes. Also love the fact that you're in a different setting, but you can't change your intro. That's Yeah, that's what I'm used to. <laughs> Four years of muscle memory. Four years of muscle memory. Yes, exactly. But look... We are super pumped to have you all here. As uh, Brian said, we are going to be doing a deep dive into the alcohol industry. We're going to be starting with uh, a, a bit of a, a shallow dive into the, some of the major trends that we're seeing with our, some of our panelists here. Then getting into some specific stock discussion with some of the big conglomerates and giving you some investment opportunities. So, Ren, let's get stuck into it. Let's get stuck in. So, uh, as Bryce said, we want to start with setting the scene, uh, understanding the industry. Uh, but Bryce, do you want to introduce our panel? Would love to. So we, on my left, we have uh, Dan Brady, who is the CEO of Red Cape Hotel Group. Red Cape own uh, and operate 34 pubs across Australia. They are a listed company, so we're going to get some great insights from Dan as to uh, the investment thesis behind Australian pubs in Australia. In Australia, obviously. <laughs> uh, we've got 
Andrew Wilsmore, who is the CEO of the Alcohol Beverages Australia. They're one of the peak lobby groups for uh, the beverages uh, group, I guess, here in Australia. And we've got uh, Irene Falcone, who is the CEO and founder of Sands Drinks, uh, a superstore for non-alcoholic drinks. So she's the disruptor in the room, which is why we've seated her over here. <laughs> and uh, she's going to give us some insight into the non-alcoholic trends that we're seeing. So uh, looking forward to it. So before we get into the questions, let's set the scene. The alcohol industry, $1.66 trillion globally in 2021. In Australia, just shy of $29 billion. Uh, so we're talking a massive industry. Uh, biggest country in the world though, China, $292 billion a year in revenue. This one I found interesting. Uh, globally, the uh, per person revenue, $220 per person in 2021. Australia punches well above his weight. Uh, and largely thanks to Bryce over here, $1,111 per person the beverage industry makes in Australia. So it's a massive industry, it's a growing industry, uh, expected to grow up 5% a year in Australia over the next five years, 7% a year internationally over the next five years, and there's plenty of good investing opportunities in that space. So to start with, we're gonna get an overview of the industry. Do you want to kick it off with the first question? Sure. So, Andrew, uh, I guess we'll start very broad, and if you can help us set the scene here in Australia, who are some of the main players in the industry, both domestically and internationally? It does vary by category, right? So, in beer, roughly pretty much all beer that's sold in Australia is sold by two companies. First one, CUB, which is owned by uh, Kieran, and the other one is Lion, which, which is owned by... Sorry, the other way around. Uh, CUB is owned by Asahi. <laughs> and Lions owned by Kirin, which are both Japanese companies. The third player in the market's Coopers, and then you've got a long tail of small brewers after that. In wine, it's a little bit of a, a more diversified story. There's around 15 to 20 large wine companies in Australia, 30 to 50 small to medium-sized companies, and around 2,000 small winemakers out there. So a lot more diversity in wine. Spirits is very much dominated by our global players. All of the market pretty much is international brands who have had long heritage, a lot of history to them. Um, so most spirits sold in Australia actually come from our imported companies. The two big ones in the room are Pernod Ricard and Diageo. And then you've got a couple of other ones around Beam Sun Tory, uh, Brown Foreman. Those are the sort of secondary players in the, in the spirits market. In Australia, the biggest spirits brand is, uh, is owned by Diageo, which is, uh, which is Bundaberg Rum. Um, and beyond that, you've certainly got a very burgeoning spirits industry, which I think I'll talk a little bit more later tonight. So, so that's really the big brands that create the alcohol, I guess. The other side of the industry is how we consume alcohol. Uh, so Dan, can you give us uh, a bit of detail on who the big players are in the, I guess, the bar and the pub scene in Australia? Yeah, sure. So the look, the pub scene's very fragmented. It's still very much a, a mom and pop style industry. The, the big player is Woolworths through ALH, um, with sort of three hundred odd venues. And in, in the scheme of venues in Australia, that's actually not that many. So uh, it's a it's a, still a very very fragmented industry, but it's still well and truly family owned. Um, I think one of the things that's happened in the industry over the last few years is um, you know, it's, it's become a very, uh, you know, assets have become very valuable and uh, that's driven 
um, you know, we'll talk in uh, context of, of New South Wales for, for a second, but, um, you know, very much pubs have become, uh, I guess, very agile towards customer preferences and needs, whereas uh, the traditional competitor in the form of clubs has, uh, uh, is much bigger and, and probably harder to, harder to move around. So uh, pubs' popularity and, and certainly through something like COVID that just uh, went through uh, really highlighted to community the fact that the pub is the hub of the community. And uh, as pubs reopened, there really was a, a renaissance, a, an explosion of interest in and around hotels. And that's been terrific to have that um, come through, albeit that as an industry, we've needed to be in lockstep with government with uh, restrictions and being able to you know, flex up and down depending on what the situation is. Well, there's no doubt that uh, we are seeing a lot of new trends coming into the industry given COVID um, and also the rise of craft beer. So let's turn to what we're seeing globally. And Irene, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, let's start with the rise of non-alcoholic drinks. What is the trend that we're kind of seeing at the moment, both domestically and internationally? Honestly, I thought everybody had stopped drinking. And then I walked in here and I thought, oh, no, people are still drinking. So I guess I live and breathe non-alc all the time. And so for me, it's just so normal. Um, but in the last six months, and I've only been in business for six months, I have seen... People comment in the first month, what's the point, all the time. And I have not had that comment, what's the point, for at least three months, which is a, kind of annoying because I put it on my box as, you know, everyone thinks this is what's the point. And so I've got all these boxes now with this old sort of saying on it. But the attitude has just changed so much. Um, I think it's something like 11 to 15% of Australians just don't drink alcohol. And the non-elk space overseas, particularly in the, in the uh, UK and, um, and places like Sweden. I mean, I think in Sweden and some countries, you're not allowed to make an alcoholic wine without making a non-alcoholic equivalent. And so I think, you know, what you see overseas always ends up in Australia. So I think we have to let uh, you two uh, talk about the rise of the, I guess, the non-alcoholic drinks movement. How do you think about it? How do you try and convince people to drink alcohol again if that's what you're trying to do? I want to stir some controversy up early, so uh, let us know your thoughts. No, we're 100% in agreement. This is The customer's wanting it, right? So the customer's out there looking for this product. Largely it's to do with a, a health and well-being movement that's taking place across the world. So they're not just looking for no alcohol products, they're looking for healthier options, whether it's low in carbohydrates, which is really driving a lot of this Zeltzer trend. So Zeltzers have taken off in the United States. This summer we've introduced them into Australia. They've been very popular. For those who don't know what they are, it's basically an alcoholic soda water or an alcoholic lem uh, mineral water. And they've just been going gangbusters this summer. So um, no alcohol as a category has doubled in size. Admittedly, it's at a small base, but it has doubled over this last summer. So there's absolutely an attraction to it. Um, it did find its legs during COVID. Uh, a lot of people were a little bit concerned about their at-home consumption. So they did start to look into the no alcohol um, varieties and particularly led by beer. Uh, the start of this was really a bit of a, a dipping a toe in the water by a lot of these companies. They created almost fake brands to see if this was really a thing or not. 
And then you're now seeing all of the big brands coming in on this. So you've got your Carlton Zero, your Heineken Zeros. They are just going gangbusters in the market. So, and it's expanding into other categories too. There's no alcohol spirits. There's no alcohol wines. Um, just recently, I had a mate send me a, a photo that he took at his local service station, and it was an ad for a beer and a pie. And I'm going, hang on, you can't sell <laughs> beer at service stations? And it looked a bit more closely, it was a Heineken Zero and a pie for a special deal. So you're starting to see it a lot more out there. It is becoming a lot more acceptable as part of Australia's changing drinking culture. What about you, Dan? Would, do you pour any uh, non-alcoholic beers at your pubs, or do you plan to in the future? Well, our pubs are all about uh, listening to customers. It's a listening exercise, and customers want no alcohol options. And uh, it's a part of the modern hospitality experience. So I know you're trying to stir up controversy. <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because uh, it's, actually, it's actually a really important part of the product mix. Uh, one of our pubs, which is the Beach Hotel Byron, I mean, the, the amount of non-alcoholic uh, beer, wine, um, other products going through over the bar is just escalating all the time. That's a, ve that's a venue that's a good sort of talisman, a, a leader um, in trend. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've got a brewery out at Rouse Hill and uh, we're brewing non-alcoholic beer out there um, for our venues. Across our Red Cape venues, we got about 12% of our tap beer is our own beer and uh, part of that suite is the uh, non-alcoholics as well. So we both used to work in retail, Coles and Woolworths, um, and there was rumours circulating that beer was dead. Is that true? I think from what I've seen, and I'm not in the beer industry as such, but it's been very flat in growth. Uh, I think over the, la the, the COVID period, particularly in the off-premise, you know, there's been a, a good healthy explosion of uh, sales there. But pre-COVID, it was uh, pretty flat and uh, more, you know, diversification and, and premiumisation of, of, of uh, products. But I don't know if that's uh, right no, or not. We, we, we saw that in our numbers too, was that beer, beer's very much an occasion drink, right? You're watching it with the footy at a bar or you're chatting with friends or there's a sporting game on TV or whatever it might be. And all those occasions just disappeared during COVID. You couldn't go out dancing, sport was shut down, pubs were shut. So beer really felt it more strongly than perhaps wine or spirits. What we saw was a bit of a, during COVID when the lockdowns were on, there was quite a, a renaissance in cocktail making. That was one of the categories that picked up quite a lot. People turned their hand to, I've got to have a bit of theater, it's been a boring day, what am I gonna do with myself in the evening? And they've thrown their hand into making cocktails. So there's a big uptick in retail sales of spirits and all of the mixes and various things that you make to, to make a cocktail. So, and unfortunately, beer was the sort of a, the poor cousin as a result of that because you just didn't have the occasions. There was no family barbecues, no sport, you know. Yeah. So let's stick on the spirits trend for a bit. It feels like over the last five years, we've had some particular spirits have a real moment. Gin a couple of years ago, tequila now, uh, is that just uh, me watching Bryce drink a lot of it? Or is that a trend that's playing out across Australia? It's probably a bit of both. Um, <laughs> no, gin, I was talking to a few retailers today. They're, uh, they're, they're looking at their next, uh, you know, what gets listed and what doesn't. And they're actually making more space for gin, which I thought when you walk into most liquor stores today, it's a pretty full gin aisle that you've got there. And it, I guess it explains some of the, the great things that Australian distillers are doing with gin. 
Um, we are wowing the world with what we're putting into our gins because they're taking a leaf out of wine and they're talking about terroir, which is a sense of place. So you've got all these wonderful botanicals that are, are native to where they are. So the Manly Spirits Company, it's got seaweed in its, its ones. You go up further north into Queensland, there's all these indigenous ingredients that go into theirs. And as a result, we're winning all these awards globally. Um, and it's just this, because Australia produces such a fascinating a product that's so unique to us. So gin's going to continue to grow. Yeah, interesting. So Irene, let's turn back to non-alcoholic. You're building a business that is, um, you know, a superstore for non-alcoholic drinks. Um, what has been some of the attitude changes over the last few years and what is really driving that? Well, firstly, you keep filling your shelves with alcoholic 40% gin. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's good. And I'll keep filling my shelves with a non-alcoholic version. <laughs> um, you know, interestingly, the non-alcoholic gin market is not very big at all. Um, people are, um, attitudinally, people want to stop drinking alcohol. They want to drink less. My target audience are people who drink alcohol. So I'm, as soon as I explain to them, you can have a beer or a wine or a champagne that tastes, smells, feels, looks, everything just like the real thing, but you don't feel like crap afterwards, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? And so with wine and beer, they taste the same, particularly sparkling. Okay, some of the reds are hard, I know, but in general. But when you get to the spirits and gins, people do expect it to taste like gin, and they do get a shock. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's definitely the wine and, and the beer. Um, but I find that the attitude changes when you can give someone something that surprises them. And then they tell 10 people and then they ten tell 10 people. And then before you know it, everyone stopped drinking. And then I guess if we think about it from an investment standpoint and other businesses and players in the industry wanting to capitalise on this trend... You're, you're obviously starting your own your own store, but are there any other, other main players in the industry starting to bring out their own sort of products? Like, is Treasury Wine getting involved in non-alcoholic drinks? Like, yeah, they are. They all are. All of we've got Jacobs Creek. We do. We've got Lindemans. We have McGuigan's. We've got. Um, I think all of the main Australian players do have a non-alcoholic line now. The beers do. Um, that from an investment perspective, the growth that I see is craft beer. I mean, thing, like heaps normal. Like I'm selling one to two pallets of heaps normal every week. And I'm literally on the road chasing down the truck for my delivery. And it's literally not even coming into the, my warehouse. It's going straight out the door to customers. Um, so beer is just such a huge... And I think it's because it tastes the same. Beer is massive. Beyond beer, I think sparkling wines, rosés, all those wines that you can take the alcohol out and still get the same flavours um, are huge. So investments into those areas, absolutely, yeah. Equity Mates, we're going to interrupt the live show recording just to, again, give a shout out to Stake who give you the opportunity to place trades with $0 brokerage over in the US. Yeah, you can trade over 4,000 US stocks all with $0 brokerage. Not bad. Not bad. And you'll hear in the second half of this show that there are plenty of opportunities to invest in some of the big alcohol conglomerates over at listed in the US. So uh, sign up with uh, Stake. You can get a brokerage account going in minutes and make trades in seconds, all with $0 brokerage. Uh, you can use our promo code EquityMates, and if you fund your account within 24 hours, you will get a free stock in either Nike, Dropbox, or GoPro. 
you can't complain with that. Can't complain. Also, can't complain about hearing three CEOs share their insights on the industry. So let's get back into it. So here's a stat that surprised me. Uh, globally, last year, alcohol consumption was down 8%. I figured given COVID, uh, everyone being locked inside, people would have wanted to drink more. Uh, is that number attributable to the move to non-alcoholic movement or to non-alcoholic beverages? I think it's 100% attributed to the fact I launched last year <laughs> and I, can, I told everybody that they didn't need to drink alcohol at a time when they were sick of drinking alcohol because they'd put their alcohol in their mugs and they'd done their Zoom calls for six months or so and they were just ready, they were feeling bloated, they weren't feeling great and I came into the market and convinced everybody, 8% <laughs> of them. So Irene has her answer. I'd love to hear your answers. Uh, both, uh, what, what do you attribute the 8% to? And then secondly, do you think that's a trend that will continue or do you think that's going to reverse uh, in the years to come? Oh, it, it was definitely specific to COVID and the lockdowns. We saw you know, a fairly big increase in retail sales. I'm sure everyone saw the queues when we were all worried that they were going to close bottle shops in this country. Um, fortunately, they stayed open. And as a result, we did have quite significant sales through our retail channels, but it didn't make up for what was lost through the closure of our pubs, clubs, restaurants and bars. Um, so overall, we're slightly down in sales across each category in Australia as a result, and that's mirrored pretty much around the world. Um, and equally, it's, it is, you know, we've had challenges with the supply, um, just getting our product out of the market or getting product into the market. There has been a whole bunch of supply chain issues that COVID's impacted as well. But overall, Australians during COVID were drinking less. I mean, the perception's different, right? We all saw those massive queues. We've all had those, uh, those Zoom calls where you might have shared a drink or two with your friends. But overall, you just lost the occasions. And, um, and even though you might you have this perception you're drinking a little bit more at home, it hasn't made up for what you've lost from going out to venues like this or catching up with friends or, or the other occasions that, that otherwise existed there. So um, overall, we're drinking less. But we think, and all the indications are, is the rebounds happen when the venues have opened again. People have started coming out. They are still a little scared, so we haven't got the same numbers of people going out as we used to. But I think people are getting a level of comfort, especially as the vaccine rolls out here in Australia. Obviously a different story around the world, but, um, but definitely in Australia, we're looking in a much brighter place. Well, that is uh, good news for you, Dan, as you own 36 pubs. Uh, as I said at the start, Red Cape is a listed company. A lot of us have probably had uh, dreams of owning your own pub. Good news is you can do it through uh, RDC. That's the ticker. Uh, I guess the question, though, broadly, is what is the investment thesis for a pub? You know, if you, you look at what goes into running it um, and, you know, you can understand that it's a, potentially a quite a cyclical business, like what is it that you look for in pubs and, and what is the investment case? I think with RDC, um, first and foremost, it's, a, it's an income stock. So uh, we, uh, we push out a, a quarterly distribution and uh, we did uh, turn the distribution off right at the start of uh, the shutdowns and COVID, but then we got it open in July. So we've had the distribution back on. Uh, for RDC, we're pushing out um, uh, on today's share price just a bit, uh, seven and a half odd percent. Um, uh, cash yield per annum um, distributed quarterly um, and that uh, that sort of is you know if you go into the market and buy a, an A-class quality hotel um, it can be anywhere sort of at the at the 6% return mark up to sort of like the 8% return mark at the moment 
and that's if you know, you've got the, the 50 million or the, or the 80 million dollars to buy the pub and that's sort of uh, the, the price of a pub these days. Um, our thesis is very much about adding value, so uh, we'll go into communities, since it's very much driven by community, uh, community sentiment in that area, and is it a positively skewed community? Can we enhance that local community? And that's our, our vision within Red Cape, is to enhance local communities. And uh, there are, uh, we go into these uh, different uh, communities will uh, apply growth capital to the to the hotels. Will enhance facilities. What we principally do, though, is connect with customers. And uh, you know, we talk about our lead indicators in our business being staff satisfaction. How sta satisfied are our staff? That's our value chain, which then spins on to our customer NPS number. And those two lead indicators really for us equal financial outcome. So it's very much. Uh, uh, focus on the heuristics and, and the values of the company and that's how we drive, drive value. Also, what we uh, are able to do with that is take the volatility out of, uh, out of operating these, these hotels over dispersed geographies. And so are you buying the properties as well? If we're to be investing in RDC, are we getting access to not only the income stream that you're producing but access to your property portfolio? Yeah, that's in, that's in contrast to a lot of other pub groups that, that will lease the space and someone else owns the property. Our uh, business is set up around uh, owning everything, owning the property and, and the business. And that's principally around making sure that we can respond to customer preferences, we can respond to regulatory change, and uh, really, if we, we need to make those changes quickly, we can be very agile around it because we, we don't have to seek permission from anyone. Um, it also goes well to when we've added value to hotels and we're always optimising our capital stack and that is to say that if we've fully realised the benefit and the value that we've created a pub, then we we're happy to move it on and happy to sell it and then redeploy that capital into, a, into another pub. So uh, Dan, if we stick on you for one more question, you know, we've got a room full of investors here. They want to know what the emerging trends are you know, gin's had a moment, tequila's having a moment. They want to know what the next moment is so they can get ahead of that as investors. Boots on the ground, in your pubs, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that we as investors should know about? Well, I think, you know, again, one of the pubs that we have is the Beach Hotel Byron, and that's one that really does uh, lead. So we see a lot of the trend coming through there. The Celsus over, over summer were just uh, through the roof. And... Uh, Fortunately, we brew our own seltzer as well, so uh, we were able to take advantage of that. But uh, it's a huge you know, it, it category that just went gangbusters. I think uh, what will be interesting over the, the coming year or so will be, outside of non-alcoholic, by the way, with, that's going very well, is, the, um, is hemp. 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 Um, hemp. Hemp beer, yeah. Okay. For, for people who are having that surprise reaction that Bryce and I had as well, can you explain... Uh, what, like what the trend is there? Uh, I think a lot of craft brewers at the moment are going and doing their experimentation with it at the moment. They're uh, test and learns. Uh, and, uh, and to that end, uh, they were seeing some interesting products come out. Yeah, right. And, uh, and I think the experiences are that they'll translate into products in, in, in shelves on stools. So. There you go. That, that's the uh, hot tip from the insider. Invest in hemp-infused beers. <laughs> 
Alrighty, well, um, to close out this session, we love a bold prediction at Equity Mates. We throw them out every year. So we would like to get a bold prediction from each of you as to uh, where you see the alcohol industry being in the next five years, or perhaps just a bold prediction for the industry um, from your point of view. So Irene, if we start with you, what's your big, bad, bold prediction? Oh, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? I'm taking 50% <laughs> of your sales. <laughs> nice. <laughs> By when? By the end of next year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My business is on track to do $10 million by the financial year next year. That's a big growth for six months. Um, it, 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 it is big. And I'm out here to disrupt you. And I won't take all your business, just 50%. <laughs> All right, well, we'll like note this. that down, yeah. 50% of your sales to Irene. Uh, Dan? Yeah, look, uh, one of our, uh, you know, as I said before, our vision with uh, Red Cape is to enhance local communities. And we've been able to put in play a tech stack in our business through our digital customers that mean that every transaction in one of our pubs has community pledge dollars going to a community al allocated uh, charity. And uh, just over the last five months, we've um, been able to actually pay out 400,000. We've got a, a, a million that we'll pay out to over 330 uh, community groups that are elected by those, by those uh, patrons and customers that come through. The bold prediction, I think, for pubs is that if you're not making a positive social impact to your community in five years, you won't have a successful business. Love it. Love it. We will take that. Andrew? Yeah, I should point out that the non-alcoholic market is still our market, so <laughs> yeah, we're still no, friends here. it's not really your market, but they don't really want to buy it from liquor stores. <laughs> but good luck. Um, the, for, for us, we've, uh, we've actually just done a, a fantastic exercise with Deloitte Access Economics, looking at the next 10 years of our industry, and it is very, very positive. Um, we're talking taking our economic contribution from 52 billion up to 64 billion, pretty much replicating the export success story that Australian wine was with our distillers and equally leveraging the great work that's taking place in low and no alcohol beers and taking that around the world. So there's nothing but positivity in the future that we can see, but I'm paid to say that too, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Well, um, guys, thank you very much. Uh, I hope that we've been able to give a bit of a broad uh, insight into the alcohol industry. But uh, Dan, Andrew, Irene, thank you very much. We'll change panels. Five minutes. Well thank you very much. Thank you. That was amazing. So there we have it, Ren. That is uh, the halfway point of our live show, All Access with Steak. It's, uh, it was pretty incredible to get back out there during COVID. We had, a, we had a great time. A huge thank you to Steak. But the good news is the other half of the, <laughs> the show is uh, now live in your feed. Yeah. So uh, finish this one up. Uh, go listen to the next one where we talk about the investing opportunities. Uh, big shout out to Steak. Um, go sign up if you want to trade in the US with $0 brokerage. Um, that's really all we have to say. Nice. We'll leave it there. And, <laughs> oh, uh, and uh, keep an eye out because we'll probably do another live show soon. Yes, true. EquityMates Investing Podcast is a product of EquityMates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of EquityMates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. 
For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.